Chapter 69 Pulling into the Gravy Train Station Do the math. I'd seen him twice in the last two weeks, once six months prior, and he'd given me $24,500. That's more than most attorneys make, no? Was I not here via a sugar daddy site? Why was I having such a hard time taking the money? It all just ripped through me as I stood there because I was not a sugar baby, never was, never would be. To accept money of this magnitude or any amount for sex is not what I should be doing. It was like he was reading my mind because the next words out of his mouth were, this is not a trade for sex. Although the sex with you is outstanding and I'd like to have it every day if I could, this is just because I love you. I said for the second time, that is impossible. You don't even know me. He agreed that it seemed out of line with what most may feel to be normal, but he added, I feel as though we may have known each other in another lifetime, and you know I'm the scientific type, so it really goes against my grain to say that, but I mean it. He continued, We met for a reason six months ago. I told you then, didn't I? I told you back then that I didn't want to live without you. I meant it. I didn't say a word. Because as strange as it sounded, I'd had so many out-of-body-like experiences throughout my life that I'd be the last one in the world to doubt what he was feeling, almost hypocritical to utter a word of denial. He continued, Even if I'd only see you once a month, it's more happiness than I've had in the last 25 years. So as crazy as I may sound to you right now, I'd like to devise a plan. I literally held my breath. I wasn't sure I was going to like what he had in mind. On top of trying to wrap my head around this entire situation, I was not in love with him and didn't think I ever could be. Could I learn to love him? Yes! He was the most genuine, generous man I'd ever met. But his forthcoming plan might not be something I was capable of taking part in. What if that were the case? Is this what Nick had felt when I'd given all of myself to him? Pressure? Hard to breathe? Did I unknowingly show my own lover the door by scaring him to death? Chapter 70 My Husband Left with a Left Hook Talk about being sucker-punched with a huge dose of blind stupidity. Just how did I miss this one? I was so busy thinking I was the protector that I never even saw the protectee ready to pounce on fresh meat. Most women in my position who'd left home to take care, slept with men for money, learned the corporate life, tried to find something to love in the meantime, who planned on watching her children close up even from a distance, who felt sorrow and remorse that she was half of a marriage gone bad, who worked her ass off to keep them all safe, that woman just might, might be pissed off. Just who was paying for his dates? What is the point in causing more pain than needed? Hadn't we all been through enough already? I told him, Jack, draw up the papers, make sure they're fair, and I'll work on getting myself back home for the kids. You go. I'll say nothing negative about you or your new life. I want to come home. I saw Josh the following week and told him of my situation. I was preparing my thoughts, which is so unlike me, 
words milling around inside me, which gave him an extra moment he hadn't expected. He took a deep breath and said, Here's what I'd like. I'd like to help you transition yourself and your company so that you'd both feel comfortable with you working from your home in Raleigh. I could help you build a studio in your home, and you could continue to run the company online. This way you'd be back with your children and can still maintain your business. My head snapped up from its previous lean to the side. I said, where do you come in? He answered, I will pay for your move, your well-being, and whatever you may need in the future to help with your family if you'll agree to see me in this way once a month. He paused and repeated my words back to me, the words that had been my mantra for what felt like forever. Life is not worth living if there's nothing to look forward to. I would always have you to look forward to, Dora. That would complete me. I tried for a practical moment to ask, Where in the world are you getting this money from, Josh? He threw back his head and laughed at me. He said, Don't be worrying about that. I've done very well for myself. Just know that you can trust me, okay? Very few would have. Trusted, I mean. Again, those were the words I'd uttered so many times to Nick. I bet I pushed them down his throat so often he wanted to vomit them up. This parallel would either make me or break me. Having felt the pain of rejection when he left, or did I throw him out? I don't even know at this point, but was I willing to let this generous, humble man feel the same pain if I couldn't come through? I wouldn't wish that pain on my own worst enemy. This was crucial. If I stepped forward and allowed him to protect me while not being in love with him, I could hurt him. The prior knowledge he'd offered was showing me that he was truly in love with me. I repeated in my head, Can someone learn to fall in love with someone they're not in love with? I broke a golden rule, asking a question I had no answer to ahead of time. Was I willing to risk his feelings, his ego, his fantasies, to see if it could be learned? God forgive me. He was protecting my kids. My kids come before all. So, yes, he was my benefactor of sorts, maybe even my guardian angel. But in an odd way, I'd felt that I'd been this kind of angel to others as well in the past. So I understood the feeling of wanting to give. That overwhelming happiness that washes over you when you give someone a gift for no reason. Even the joy you'd feel when paying for a meal at McDonald's for some unexpected stranger four deep behind you in line. And then not letting them know it was you who did it. How rare it is to meet someone that cares more about you than themselves, especially after only a few days. I laughed out loud, put my hand out and said, shake on it. I believe I've just found the perfect sugar daddy. With that, he leaned down, kissed me and said, okay, shut up and fuck me already. Chapter 71, U-Haul and Yeehaw. Within two weeks, I'd gotten the okay from my boss to work from my home location, and Josh had me packed up and shipped out, home to the open arms of all my children. I guess you might grab this from the categories of love is blind or love at first sight from his perspective. For the rest of his life, he knew he had something to look forward to. 
Me. I learned to love him for who he was and what he unabashedly gave of himself to me, without any strings tripping us up. He allowed me to remember that I was the woman who needed to be loved and needed to make a difference in someone else's life. He gave me back the children I was so fearful of having lost. All of this while seeing him every month. He'd show up with a smile that could light up a room. I introduced him to my kids, slowly, methodically, so that they too could learn that he was selfless and only had their best interests at heart, even without having met them. He spoke wisely with my son, appreciated his art and attitude, told him he'd always wanted a boy. My daughters, one by one, he picked up on their feminine yet candid personalities. With each one, he pinpointed what mattered most, almost like zeroing in on the bullseye. Amazingly intuitive with each of them, shockingly so. My kids learned to love him and were in awe of how he looked at me. Great life lessons for them with their future mates. I remember saying the words to them all, Kids, if you're not in love and best friends with your spouse, leave. So important to have it all if you make that commitment to give it back. All of the little idiosyncrasies that used to bother me, why couldn't this man get a haircut? Why couldn't he put on a nice shirt and a pair of pants that I'd like to take off of him? Why couldn't we spend time in restaurants mingling with other people? They all began to matter not. I even stopped thinking about money, as he'd always make sure my bank account was flush. I tried to tell him it didn't matter anymore. I did what I doubted I could do, and that was to fall in love with him just because of who he was and how special he'd made me feel, and most importantly, how special I made him feel just by being myself. Each time he'd come to town, I'd still ask, can we please go out to dinner? I'd know full well what his response would be. Dora, that takes time away from you and me. I want every minute that I'm here to be in each other's arms or sitting on the floor of the living room doing homework with your kids how could any woman, mother, argue with this logic? Chapter 72 Change and Realization A few months passed, and I started to notice he wasn't acting like himself. He'd think I didn't notice while he'd turn his back and rub his stomach or chest. I'd pretend not to see so as not to embarrass him. This went on for a while until I asked, Josh, are you okay? I've been watching you. I know your mannerisms, and this is not you. What's wrong? He denied any problem. Dora, when I'm with you, the world is right. There are no pro There are never problems. The next time I saw him, he looked as though he'd lost weight. His clothes hung a little loosely, and his cheeks looked a bit gaunt. Again I asked, but this time I felt palpitations that I hadn't felt before— Where's the poetic justice that allows me to finally begin to fall in love with a man that I think is leaving this world? If I could have, I would have slapped myself across the face and said, Idiot! This man has given his world for you! Better you see it now than never! I argued within my head while he continued to dismiss my fears. My kids asked as well. My kids asked as well. What's wrong with Josh? He seems tired, Mom. His hugs were just as plentiful as always, but the squeeze was shy of his normal exuberance. I felt it. He knew I felt it. And yet there were hugs from him for all the kids. 
He stayed over that night, and while snuggled up against him, I noticed he felt colder than usual. I got closer, pulled him around me tighter, and woke up with him no longer beside me, but I could hear him in the bathroom down the hall, coughing, almost like a hacking kind of cough, enough to make me get up, throw on a robe, and go to him. He'd thought he'd closed the door tightly, but it was opened just enough for me to see him leaning over the toilet and spitting out blood. I froze in place. How many times had I been this dear, caught, and debilitated by something I'd seen or heard? I remembered Demi, all that blood coming out of her wrist, and I remembered that feeling of fright because I loved her so much. I was thinking, put that blood away once and for all. I'm going to erase it and make it better, I swear. A mini-movie played in my head. He's sick. He's not telling me he's sick for a reason. What could that reasoning be? He'd finally divorced his wife, so it couldn't be anything to do with her or family. He was still the executor to his aunt's estate, who he'd mentioned was dying but still alive nonetheless, so nothing to hide there. He was very open and forthcoming about his love for me and my children. So what the hell? Why, after I had held back for so long... Was I allowing him to get under my skin for the past few months and finally let myself fall in love with him? Did I see this illness coming? I knew he wasn't well, but did I see it coming? Fast and furious, it was leaping out of his throat. I must have known he'd need me now. Have I not always considered myself to be Ms. Intuitive? I just left the blinders half on for the last few months. I knew this was coming. There's no way to successfully lie to oneself as they spiral down that well called love. This was what it was all about. It was my turn to be there for him, as he'd been there for me all along. That's what love is, for better or worse. It all rushed at me as I ran quietly to the laundry room, grabbed a bunch of towels, went back to the bathroom, and opened the door. He turned, panic in his eyes, blood on his chin, T-shirt, tried to talk, but turned back to the toilet and began to throw up and cry at the same time. I leaned over him, put my chest against his back so he could feel my warmth, my appreciation, my love and held him tight until he was finally finished. I took my hands and wiped at his eyes, his blood staining my robe, and took towels to gently wipe off his face and hands as he was visibly exhausted. I cleaned him up, every last drop of blood, mindless once again of that used-to-be fear that goes away when the blood belongs to someone you love. It was more important to clean him up and offer him dignity that he so deserved. I'd been cleaning up my own messes for so long now, but this was a soul-blood mess that I wouldn't have traded places with anyone in the world to clean. Would it stain my heart like it would surely stain my robe? These stains would never wash out of my memory or heart, as he was so dignified in trying to hide what he was going through. All while whispering so as not to wake the kids, I got him back into the bed and let him go back to sleep, deciding it would be best to save my questions till the morning. Strength offers fresher conversations. Hours later, I awoke alone again. I got up, all kids had left for school, and found him at the kitchen table having a cup of coffee, 
One thing about him I'd noticed was, no matter how sick or out of sorts he was, there was nothing a great cup of coffee couldn't cure in his mind. I sat down across from him, reached across the table, and put my hand on his. Josh, it's time you tell me what's going on. I'm here for you, unconditionally, and will help you through whatever it is. Silence. More silence, as he stared straight ahead his gaze unwavering, almost as if he were considering pretending he didn't hear me or trying to come up with some fabricated story that might buy me time instead of him. Josh, let me in. You've taken me from one world to another, crossed barriers I didn't even know existed, shown me the light of love, the darkness of disbelief, and I'm still here. Let me in. He turned his gaze upon me finally and said, I didn't come into your world to be a burden to you. I came in to show you how to get out of the burdens you had, not to add one more to your never-ending stack of plates that was always tilting. I said, you will never have the capabilities of becoming a burden to me. A woman in love with a man can never view him in this way. Let me help. Tell me the truth so we can get through this together. Please, he said. I waited my whole life for you, and I'm so blessed that I finally found you. Even if it was for a short time, I know what I've missed all those years ago, and I feel like I made up for it just by sharing this short time together. You, your family, the love you've all offered me, the way your kids just accept me because they follow your lead. You're such a great mom, and I'm so glad that I was able to see this and be a part of it. He continued, Dora, I've been diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. It's my liver, and I don't have much time left. I don't feel deprived. Please don't misunderstand. I did get what I wanted out of life. I found love with you. I just feel that I'd rather you see me in this way still with strength left in me, still virile, still able to be the provider, not the sickly man I am soon to become. I wanted to see you one more time. I wanted to tell you how much I love you and that I'll save a place in heaven for you when your time comes. You should never be afraid again to be alone. I'll never let that happen. I was speechless. I tried swallowing what he said, as well as swallowing my own saliva and nothing wanted to go down smoothly. In fact, I knew if I wasn't careful, I'd start gagging on air. But I felt like stone at the same time. I got so angry. In my head, I screamed, How dare him! Another man that just decides to get up and leave me! What? Wait! What am I thinking? I think I felt I was losing my mind, Right there, at that very moment, while that movie played in slow motion in my head. Dora! I whispered from my left brain to my right. Get it together! This man needs you! I stood up, went over to him, sat down on his lap, and leaned my head on his shoulder. I was quiet, which was a rarity for me, as we all know. I finally lifted up my head, looked him dead in the eye, and said, You're not going Anywhere, Mr. Rocket Scientist, you may think you're a smart cookie, but at this moment in your lifetime, I'm smarter, and we're going to do it my way. No way in hell was I letting him out of my sight. 
I wanted to take care of him, rightfully so. After all, love makes us stronger. My mom said, it builds character, Dora. Well, by the time I was done with taking care of him, I'd be one hell of a character to contend with, for sure. Chapter 73 Too Soon, Too Late? For the next three weeks, he stayed in bed, unless he needed the bathroom or felt the urge to stretch his legs. The kids and I took such good care of him. My mom would have been proud of all of us. In fact, I was so sorry she never had the chance to meet him. He asked for so little that we had to offer so much just to get him to meet us in the middle. There wasn't a day that went by that I wasn't wiping tears off of one of my kids' faces in private. We never let him see us cry. We'd always keep him laughing. Just a knack we all had with crazy everyday goings-on, situations we'd get ourselves in and out of that he'd just find delightful. But each day his laughter got a little bit more strained, weak, painful. This man taught me so much about love, blind faith, truth, and piqued my self-esteem to its highest level without even trying. I knew I'd forever be grateful. By now the doctors had him attached to IVs that dripped morphine slowly, 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 just to manage his pain level. They'd given me permission to increase or decrease his meds based upon his wishes. I'd sneak in in the middle of the night to ask if he needed more. I wasn't sure if there was such a thing as too much pain relief via medication or if we were intended to suffer without. After having been such a wonderful person, he'd nod his head for more until I'd give him the amount needed to make that pain go away. Then he'd stop nodding and just relax. This night, I could see in the dark the shadows in his eyes. He looked haunted. While he still hadn't seen me standing beside him yet, I leaned over to kiss him, and the shadows disappeared. He actually smiled at me. The old smile that I remembered when I'd first met him, the Dora. I know you'll think I'm crazy, but I feel like I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life with you. Smile. The fact that I met him via a sugar daddy site and wound up here at his bedside, knowing what love is, was almost too much for me to handle. With his smile, he nodded his head, meaning, Please give me more painkillers. I did, and he continued to nod, so I continued to administer, but yet he continued to nod. I asked him, Josh, do you know what you're doing? He nodded again. I said, Are you through? He nodded. I continued to increase his dosage and said, Josh, do you know how much I love you? Do you know I don't want to live without you? Do you know all of this? He continued to nod and smiled brightly at me as a tear slid down his cheek. He squeezed my hand and pulled me down to him so that my ear was next to his mouth. He whispered, Dora, I've loved you since before I met you. I will love you for eternity and be waiting for you. You will be safe until that time. I love you madly, Dora. I started to talk back to him just to beg him to wait for a little while longer, but noticed he was still. He was very quiet, with a very peaceful look on his face. He was gone. Love is what you give, not what you get. 
Acknowledgements. A thank you to the special people in my life who've made a difference. Steve, who spent many years shaking his head at my outside the box ways of thinking, which of course offered encouragement for me to push more buttons. While no longer together as traditional husband and wife, there'll always be a sense of togetherness. My mom, who more often than not was a wonderful role model but wisely understood that it might have taken more years than not for it to sink into my thick skull. <laughs> my dad, for offering guidance and trying to keep me inside the lines even though he knew it was a lost cause. Also for allowing me to believe that one person can be smart enough to hold all the answers even if they bend and twist in the wind a bit. My wonderful friend Bill Figinshu, who has held my hand throughout many a storm, who shakes his head at me like every other man, but insists the shake is with me due to admiration and the unconditional need to want to make sure I'm okay. And to my rocket scientist CW who taught me that I really don't need the red ruby slippers to go the distance. If I believe in my talents, someone out there may just offer the crest of a wave. It's just up to me to ride it. This has been The Diary of a Sugar Mom. Don't tell the kids. The Life of a Sugar Mom. Written by Robin Marshall. Narrated by Robin Marshall. Production copyright 2014 by Martial Arts Media, LLC. A Westwood One podcast production.